Thank you, praise team. I don't know, I, th I think y'all were looking at my notes when you were singing all those songs. That's amazing how God does things. Amen? He's a faithful God. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to begin chapter 2 today, and uh, we'll see how far we get. Um, the good news for you is I have at least two sermons prepared to preach this morning. Back to back. I don't know if we'll get there. Um, one thing I, I will say, and I, and I know this is a time of year when uh, college students are heading off, and I think Jonathan's one of those, and I don't know if y'all have any others, um, but this passage of Scripture is going to be uh, really important for you to take a uh, hold of and, and grasp because your foundation is Christ and none other. There is no hope apart from him. And uh, this morning as we begin, I, I also send you greetings from Pastor Jeff. I visited with him on the phone last night and we shared a time of prayer and I think uh, he sent you an email this week. So hopefully you've read that and you, you understand what's going on with him. Um, he told me to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the prayer. And he encourages you as God's people to pray. Pray, pray, seek the face of the Lord. Um, you know, oftentimes it, and this is kind of aside from our, our passage, our text this morning, but oftentimes it takes difficulties and trials in our lives before we're flat on our face before God. My prayer is you get it flat on your face now. And I know that's his. Seek him, exalt the Lord God, and worship him alone. This passage of scripture in Colossians chapter 2 that we're going to look at this morning, I've titled the message Peddlers, Philosophers, and Psychiatrists, and it's part one. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, but we'll likely only get through 1 through 5. If we get further than that, that's great. Um, but that's kind of where I'd, I'd plan to, to camp out. Um, snake oil salesmen or peddlers used to travel the, com uh, the countryside. They would set up shop and, in towns and sell things. In fact, if you watch the old Western movies, you've probably seen the guy that rolls up in the covered chuck wagon and you know he's got his medicine to sell and it's a concoction from anything from alcohol to spring water. They claim to be able to cure every illness and illness known to mankind, no matter what the condition. And these, these con artists seem to be able to claim they've got the solution. Um, their names may have been forgotten, but the snake oil peddlers, um, they carved for themselves a permanent place in American history. You know, operas and plays were written about them, books, TV shows depict them and their antics, and sometimes they were credited with single-handedly destroying the, the trade of the traveling salesman. Um, but these practices, um, the practices of these con artists, mysteriously continue to live on today, don't they? I mean, you, you turn on the TV, we've got whole TV stations devoted to selling you stuff. Um, and some of it's good, it's called paid advertisement. 
paid programming. They sell everything from real estate investment strategies to, to furniture polish and car polish. And, um, you know, they, they stupefy the audiences. They've got this whirlwind, you know, demonstration. You know, like, hey, this will clean this and this will clean that. And you buy the product and it doesn't work anything at all like they said. In fact, it might take a little more elbow grease than they described. Um, they promote the impossible. They make the buyer who misses their opportunity seem foolish for passing it up. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, there are people in this world who have their own philosophy about what's right and wrong and who God is, and they try to make you feel foolish for passing up what they believe to be true. The sad fact is this travels under the banner of Christianity as well. You no doubt have seen the well-dressed minister claiming to be a Bible teacher, and they stand up, they talk about the gospel, they, sometimes they might read one verse of scripture, right? And then they're just filled with stories from then on out. They might offer a prayer cloth or a great experience, these so-called teachers are more about themselves gaining power and authority or, you know, gaining your money through some sort of money vow. They've hurt the cause of Christ over the past decades. They've given many ministers a bad label to the point to where we don't even want to trust and submit to the authority God places over us in the church sometimes. These people will also come in the, in the form of worldly philosophers. They philosophize or, or, you know, there's many people that lead us to many types of faith. One, one of them is a new age, you know, where God is in everything, seen in everything, and, you know, you just need to do this. And, you know, they've, they've led people down unbiblical paths to promote self-answers to life's problems. I want you to remember in this book of Colossians, they were battling this concept of Gnosticism. It's similar or akin to New Ageism. It's, it's about acquiring knowledge to attain the approval of a deity. It's about acquiring or attaining things so that we can know who God is through knowledge. No doubt, someone you know is under the influence of some sort of cultish teaching which I would call the modern-day snake oil peddler. According to what the Scriptures teach, the product of the false teacher is more deadly than a cobra's venom. Let that sink in. Teaching that's more deadly than the bite of a venomous snake. The church should examine the practices of these teacher, teachers. And in fact, God warns us multiple times about false teaching that sneaks in even into the church. Go read the whole book of Jude if you don't believe me. These people were marked out far beforehand for this purpose to mislead God's people. When we see just how far they are from the truth of the Word of God, we need to be not only prepared to confront the heresy, but to protect others from it and also ourselves. The world needs to know the truth. In the old days, if a snake oil peddler was found or discovered to be a hoax, do you remember what they used to do to him? You know, in the, in the Western, sometimes you'd see a guy who got tarred and feathered, right, and left on the edge of town, uh, you know, to be run out of town. But you know the far less fortunate ones were hanged. 
You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not here to promote as Christians, hey, let's go hang all the false teachers. That's not, that's, we're not saying that, okay? But what we are saying is we have a responsibility to proclaim the truth. The Apostle Paul even called people out by name. Avoid such people as these. Galatians 1.8 tells us, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, Paul said. What does that mean? That means anyone who teaches something other than salvation by faith alone in Christ alone is to be accursed. Salvation only comes by the grace of God through faith in Christ. It only comes that way. Anyone else teaching someone else, Paul said, let them be accursed. In other words, let them die for eternity, is what Paul was saying. Paul, in this passage here today, encourages the Christians to get answers from Christ alone. I want us to look at how we can overcome the world's answers for our life's questions. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we ask that you speak to us through your word. God, we thank you for your word. It is true. It comes back true every time. God, we we thank you that it instructs us and it is profitable for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. God, may we we be found faithful to study it and to apply it to our lives, trusting in the power of your spirit which resides and lives in us to bring both conviction and the power to overcome, God, the sin of the flesh of this body. God, we pray now that you would teach us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please stand with me if you will. Uh, We will read Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. It says this, For I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul, in this text, if we go back to the the beginning of it, he had a heart to see young Christians in the church discipled so that they could fully understand what? The mystery of the gospel. The truth of God. 
Listen to the love Paul expresses in verse 1 of this text. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all those who have not seen me face to face. What's he saying here? He said, I have a love for you, even those of you I do not know. Is that possible for a Christ follower? Absolutely it is. God gives you a love to love people you do not know. Paul had this, this burning love. He's struggling over these people with a deep love. Parents who love Jesus Christ and express this type of love for their own children want them to follow Christ. Amen. Right here. You launch them, you want to see them fly towards Christ, and you want them, you, you burn with a desire that you want them to follow Christ all the days of their life. It's the only thing eternal we leave behind our family, right? Many people get so consumed with, oh, well, you know, when mom or dad dies, I, I get a car, I get a truck, I get a house, I get money, I get... St no, the thing you want most is to know Christ. And if they leave you Christ, they've left you more than you'll ever need. I've known mothers who have struggled in prayer over their children for years, desiring them to know and follow Christ. Pastors struggle over their, their flocks that, that they've been given responsibility and accountability to actually disciple and lead and protect according to Scripture, lest you don't believe me. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 33 and 34 and see what the role of the shepherd is and the role of the sheep. Listen, I want to read you a passage of Scripture. We, we have grown into the place in our culture now we almost despise authority. Why? Because most of it's corrupt, right? In fact, most of us do not have a problem submitting to perfect authority, do we? We'd say, I'll follow Jesus. Why? I know he's perfect. But if you say, I've got to submit to my parents' authority, oh, no, 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 I've seen them, they're not perfect. I don't want to submit to that. Or when we get married and a wife is supposed to submit to her husband's leadership, she's like, oh, no, there's no way I'm doing that. Why? Because I know he's not, he's not perfect. And there's no way I'm going to submit to pastoral authority because I've visited my pastor and I've seen him outside and, and in other places, and I know he's got faults and failures and warts as well, so I can't do that. But listen to what the Word of God says about the authority within the church, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. What's he saying there? What's the writer saying? He's saying the pastor, a godly pastor, has a desire to see you grow in Christ, much like a parent would. This is what Paul's heart is for this church at Colossae. So he's, he's desiring, oh, I would love that you understand all the wisdom of Scripture and who Christ really is, that you might follow him all the days of your life. And you know what? When he heard they would not do that, or when a church was in rebellion against that, he wrote letters, didn't he? 
warning them. And he was grieved. And this passage in Hebrews 13, 17 says, let them, do it. let them watch over your life with joy, not with groaning. I will be the first to tell you as a pastor, there are church members that I have ha- had responsibility for leading that I have groaned over. And I have mourned over. And they came every week. They were there every time the doors opened, but their heart was far from God. And it's heartbreaking. So submit to those in authority over you. And Paul had this great love, this burden for them. So what do we see in verse 2? If we, we move on down, we see a genuine love of God. By the Apostle Paul that he desired for the church. And I want, if you want to write this down, write this down. Genuine love of God results in a love for his people that seeks for their good and growth in the grace of the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Genuine love of God always results in the love of God's people that seeks for their good and their growth in the grace of the Lord. Always. You find me a church member who says, I don't like so-and-so, and and I don't like this person, and I'll never forgive that person, and I'll I'll show you someone who does not love God. They do not. And chances are very high they don't know him at all. Very high. But Paul, Paul in this passage, he's, he longs to see their hearts encouraged, their unity and love, and the riches found in the understandings of the depth of knowing God. In verse 4, Paul was concerned that the Colossians would have their minds and their, their hearts misled by the persuasive arguments of the false teachers. Are there persuasive people in our country today? Yes. Are there persuasive people posting comments on Facebook all the time? Yes. Are they quoting things that seem to be really good? Oh, man, that's a great quote. I think I'll repost that. It may be a good quote. The question is, does it agree with God's Word or not? That's the question. He had a a heart that that these people would not be misled. This is a protective spirit that, that God gave to Paul for those who were entrusted to his care. Roll back to a, two weeks ago when we talked in Colossians 1.25. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What does that mean? Paul took his managerial responsibility for the oversight of the church seriously. Even if it brought him harm, right? You remember some towns he wasn't, he wasn't too well received, right? I mean, he got beat up a few times and stoned and drugged to the edge of town, left for dead. And yet he, he had this passage to, to see the church do well. He was warned. And he warned this this church against the attacks of the world. He wanted the church to understand the grace of God. That's what he was promoting. Here in verse 5, he points out two ways that the church is protected from deceptive teaching. Number one. Number one. Discipline. Number two, steadfast faith. And we'll get to that one in a moment. Paul had such a love for the church to walk in grace that it produced a desire for them to be disciplined or discipled faithfully over time. 
and for the church to persevere in that discipleship. If you've missed out in Scripture about how God has called you not only to have a faith in Christ, but but to persevere in that, that faith, go back and just look up the word persevere in your faith or look, do, a, do a word study on persevere, perseverance. We're going to look at both of these today, the, the discipline and the perseverance or the steadfast faith. Next week, we're going to look at how Paul taught them to implement that. So number one, if you're taking notes, just write, be disciplined. Paul said he rejoiced in their good discipline. To see good order, that's a military term he's using. <clears throat> you no doubt have seen the military people that march in, in a row, right? You know, all in step, you can see the right, left, right, left, right, left, left, right, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, the last time we talked about making disciples, we said it required discipline. As Christians, our walk should be orderly. For us to make disciples, it first requires that we have good discipline. That's the root word of disciple. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, But all things should be done decently and in order. I have seen some people take that one verse and try to abuse it to say, I must control everything in church. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an orderly walk that is planned, that is intentional, that is based on Christ and that foundation. I don't know if you've seen, I mean, I don't know if you watch the History Channel, you see all the old war stuff going back to World War I, World War II. You know, there was, there was a battle plan in World War II, you know, on how we're going to attack through Europe, you know, to, to take control of Germany. There was a battle plan. You know, they were working back home on, a, on this bomb, you know, that was going to be dropped later in Japan, right? There was a battle plan. How many people succeed in battle without a plan? <laughs> Rarely, if ever, has that ever been seen. Just a few, it used to be a few years ago. Now, I'm, I'm like, in my mind, it seemed like yesterday, but you remember when we took Baghdad? Years ago, Desert Storm, Part One, or whatever. Well, I don't know what, it, what they call it now. It, I mean, there was a plan. They were approaching Baghdad from different routes. I mean, the, there, there was a plan to conquer the enemy. Without the plan, there would have been many more casualties. God is a God of order. If you've not figured this out, before Adam sinned, God had a plan. Lest you think God is reactionary, and he's like, oh, I don't know what Adam's going to do. I'm going to create this man and the woman, put him in the garden, and I have no idea what they're going to do. No, God had a plan for salvation that came for Christ at the right time. Why did God do it then? The best theological answer I can give you is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you remember the disciples in the garden praying with Jesus. What, what did they do? Do you remember? Jesus is praying and his blood becomes like drops of blood, like following it, it says. I mean, he's just like agonizing in prayer. And he looks up, what are they doing? I mean, they're taking a nap. And Jesus is upset at them. Why? Because he needed help? No, because they lacked discipline. Matthew 26, 40 and 41 says, say this. So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch 
and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Discipline is what's needed. A disciplined Bible study life, a disciplined prayer life, a disciplined life of accountability with a Bible teaching local church are all necessary if you want to grow in Christ and have the discipline you need. If we want to have any hope of defeating the enemy's attack on our life, we must watch and pray. By the way, why didn't Jesus come immediately and just die on the cross for us? Going back to the God of order? You know, why did he wait 33 years of his life before he went to the cross? God had a plan so he could, so Christ would come live a life, identify with us, right? That he would suffer and he would show us the way. Why did he do it that way? Don't know. This is back to the I don't know. Everything, though, is done. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you see God working in an orderly fashion. Look at creation. Question. Could God not have spoken everything on day one into existence and been done? Shake your head like this. Yes, he could have. Did he do that? No. He did not. What did he do? Well, he did this on day one, and he did this on day two, and he did this on day three, and he did this on day four, and he did this on day five, and he did this on day six, and he said it was good. And on day seven, he rested. Because he was tired? No. Because he's a God of order and discipline. He was showing us that he has a plan, and he's methodical with his plan. There is nothing that escapes the sovereignty of God. Nothing. Paul had this desire that they understand the deep wisdom of God in the gospel and how God did things and why he did them. He's a God of order. Let me ask you this. What if, if, you're, if you are now a Christ follower, are you not to be reflecting the image of Christ? The image of Christ should have discipline right in the middle of it, right? Question, what evidence in your life shows that you're walking with Christ in discipline? If I'm being honest, there's some areas of my life that don't look very disciplined. I'm, I'm answering that for me. How is your time with the Lord in the study of His Word? How is your time in prayer, your fellowship with the church? You know, we used to sing this song a long time ago called Sweet Hour of Prayer. We, we need to change it to three sweet 30 seconds of prayer, maybe. Have you ever noticed when somebody prays over like a minute or two in church, people get un uncomfortable? What's going on? I don't know what to do. Why don't you pray quietly where you're at? Your pastor has a burden for you to learn to pray. Spend time in prayer. Beg God to make you disciplined in that. 
Paul's love for the church desired that they be disciplined, and that meant that they must be disciplined. Why? To withstand the schemes of the enemy. Jesus prayed for it and told his disciples, couldn't you not keep watch for one hour with me as I prayed? Why? Because they needed to withstand the schemes of the enemy that was going to distract them from what was going on and following Christ. Question, did all the disciples stay faithful at the cross? There was one, right? There was one, and the one was the one whom Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He entrusted the care to his own earthly mother, to John. One out of twelve. It is urgent that you stay faithful and disciplined to the study of God's word and prayer and to his people. Why? You'll become subject to the schemes of the devil if you do not. Number two, he not only prayed um, for them to be disciplined, he prayed for them to be stable. That that sounds really similar. Yeah, it kind of does, but he's talking about the firmness of their faith here. Paul noticed that the Christians in Colossae and Laodicea were stable. He was rejoicing in that. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be stable? They were steady. They were even. They were firm. They were unwavering. They were constant, secure. Even though the, the teaching of the day was far from what the gospel called them to do, they were firm in, in what the gospel called them to do. Repent and believe in Christ alone. In our Christian walk, there's going to be philosophies all around you in this world in which we live. People try to influence you with their beliefs. How do they do How do, how do people try to influence you with their beliefs? I can give you a few short ways. We used to think... Well, that, that evil TV box is just terrible. Well, yeah, that's part of it. Used to, we'd, you know, we had people that were so passionate they wanted to burn some books, right? Because those books could lead you astray. There's wrong teaching in books. There's wrong teaching on TV, on Netflix, Internet. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is invading your world, Leave it to Beaver is not the only thing on TV anymore. And if you were getting your philosophy of life from Leave it to Beaver, shame on you. Because that's not the Word of God either. Were there some good things there? Yes. Great. There's some good, there were some biblical principles applied in, in a couple of different TV shows, but you can rarely find biblical principle anywhere now. But where can you find it? In the Bible. Be stable, be firm. You don't need to be getting your philosophy of life from people who are giving advice on TV. I don't care how good Dr. Phil has been for so many years. I don't know how many times I've heard this since I was little or young in our country that people say, you need to just be more open-minded and think about people living with sexual immorality or lying or cheating or pride. You know, and it's okay when you say, well, I don't have any problem with that sexual immorality stuff. Oh, yeah? You ever lusted after a woman, man? We tend to pick out the sins we never have trouble with, and we want to we place our platform on those and condemn those while we have a greed problem over here, while we have a gluttony problem over here, while we have a lying problem over here when it comes time to do our taxes. The Word of God gives us the standard by which God measures all things. 
You want to grow in wisdom? I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. There's so many areas where you know, God's Word is very clear about what He feels about lying and cheating and stealing and, and even covetousness, which leads to a lot of those sins. God's Word never says we're to have an open mind to the philosophies of this world. Never, never, ever. We cannot see Scripture through the lens of the culture, in other words. If you are taking God's Word and saying, well, that doesn't really apply today because our culture is like this, you are missing the mark. The Scripture is never seen through the lens of culture. The culture is always seen through the lens of Scripture, and Scripture reveals the problem with the culture. And we've got a lot of them. And I'm not talking about outside the walls of the church or the gathering of the people. I'm talking about within. It has crept in, and it's terrifying, quite honestly, as a pastor and as a Christ follower. I'm burdened for the church. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Do you reckon God's lying? Rarely do you go to a funeral and hear somebody say, he was a dirty dog, he probably busted the gates of hell wide open. Once someone's dead, we always want to think everybody's in heaven. They're not. The way is narrow that leads to life. Very few find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter into it. If you are a person that listens to people and you're easily deceived and you hear a good argument you say, oh, that sounds really good. I, I think they're making a good argument. I want to I encourage you to be careful to ground yourself more in the Word of God. You say, well, they quoted some Scripture. So did Satan. Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus, but thankfully Jesus knew the whole Word of God, didn't he? And he responded back every time. Hey, buddy, you misinterpreted this. Let me tell you what it says. Study the Word of God. Don't just read a, a, a few verses so that you can twist Scripture into what you want. We must be firm in the teaching of God's Word into the, the full biblical context of it. James 1, 6-8 says this, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He is double-minded, a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. By the way, I'm so glad to hear you are starting an Awana club. You remember what Awana stands for? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your, your best to present yourself to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I commend you for starting that club for kids. Why? Because I know if you ground kids in Scripture, God's Word never comes back void. And it is worth your, your time. It's worth your investment. It's more important than building your portfolio and building up a retirement. It's more important than you having a vacation. It's, 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 if you will pour your life into these young kids and families, you will see God do a tremendous work here. 
I'm convinced of it. You didn't pay me to make that advertisement either, did you? No, we hadn't even talked about that. Listen, in a, excuse me, in a world that's like a raging ocean on every side, how, how many of you would like to be dropped off in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with the waves crashing all around and with no life jacket, no, no boat, no nothing? I would not. And if I were, and if there was a rock sticking up out of the middle of it, what would you do? I'd run to that rock and I would hang on with everything I had till help arrived, right? You know the Word of God calls Jesus the rock? He is the rock that sticks up in the middle of the ocean in which you can find stability nowhere else but in him. He is the ruler even of the sea. It goes back to Psalms 89.9. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Did Jesus do that when he was here on this earth? Absolutely he did, right? He calmed the seas. He just spoke it. He said, be still. Yet the world all around rejected Jesus. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What's he talking about? Well, he was speaking to the Jews, right? They rejected Christ, the cornerstone, the only foundation of the church. And because they rejected him, that gospel was given to the Gentiles to be taken to the rest of the world. Yes, some Jews still believe, but the Gentiles are taking that gospel to the world, and it has crushed people who have rejected it. It destroys people. There is judgment for the rejection of Christ. And he calls Christians to anchor themselves to that cornerstone. This is what Paul's telling the church. Anchor yourself to Christ. He's the rock, the one foundation of the church. He's your only hope. Question, is your Christian walk steady and stable because it's anchored to Christ? What, what about when all the world's arguments swirled? Do you get bent out of shape when you hear a news story and you're just mad because I don't agree with that? Let me encourage you. Don't get mad because you don't like the TV show. Be burdened because the people don't know Christ. When you're anchored in Christ, that's what a heart of a Christ follower does. Do you even know God's Word deeply? If not, this world's going to take you for a ride. It'll chew you up and spit you out so fast. And I'm going to encourage you. I, you may be the only one, Jonathan, going off to college. May, maybe there's more of you. Well, someday, y'all, you kids, you, you young people, you're going to leave. You can even go to a Christian university and find a godless professor that will try to, to steer you in a wrong direction. I'm just saying. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean you shouldn't be comparing everything that's taught to this. Everything. That includes me. Any pastor worth anything that loves Jesus is going to tell you this is the standard. And if you find something I say that's against this, let's talk. Let's discuss it. So I encourage you, stand firm in the Word. Next week, we're going to talk about how can you be disciplined and steady.
Well, maybe today you've bought into the world's philosophy. You're trying to work your way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, it's not through meditation. It's not through a new age philosophy or by being a good Jehovah's Witness or doing your works to earn your way to heaven by being a a good Mormon or Muslim or Hindu or Baha'i or Buddhist or anything else. It is through Christ alone and him alone. You will not reach God through any other means. You know, back when I was a kid, we used to have the envelope you know, and we'd fill out our, our Sunday morning envelope and we'd write my name and it said present, attend Sunday school, brought my Bible, Bible read daily prayer. Let's check those real fast. Visits. Did you make any contacts? Do you know you could check every one of those boxes and you're not going to earn your way to heaven? Won't work. Why? Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. You see, you and I were born in sin, separated from a holy God, and while you were still a sinner, Christ came and he died in your place, the death you deserved. He spilt his blood. He was the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world, that you might not only be forgiven, but you might be given the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible calls you to do two things. Repent, and believe. Turn from trusting in yourself and away from your sin and trust in the payment that Christ made alone. Stand on that rock. You see, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast or brag. And the word of God says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Have you done that? Today is the day of salvation. It's urgent. It's important. And I pray that you respond in faith to Christ, whatever he asks you to do. Would you stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed? Christ follower, I I know many of you here this morning, you know Jesus, you've been following him for a long time, and so... I commend you for your love for God and for your love for others. But I want you to know you need to be prepared. The enemy will attack. And it doesn't matter how old you are. We're going to have uh, one of our deacons here down front. front. Brother Gary is going to stand here. If you want to pray or talk with him, I'll be down here at the front. If you don't want to come pray at this altar, it's open. It's open. You have a very wise and gentle pastor who's enduring a lot right now. His concern is not for himself. It's for you, that you would pray. I beg you, pray. You respond however God calls you this morning.